When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Scott. Before we get to today's Browns Training Camp podcast, I wanted to remind you about Football Insider. Now, it's really a great way to get in-depth coverage of the Browns during what I think everybody expects to be a really big season. A subscription gives you texts sent right to your phone from me, Dan, Mary Kay, and Ellis with updates and breaking news about the Browns, not just in training camp, but throughout the season. The subscription also gives you access to all that exclusive content you see on Cuban.com. A lot of it's free, but quite a bit requires a Football Insider subscription to access it. You also get our daily newsletter, which includes content that only subscribers get. So go to cleveland.com slash browns, click on the blue banner at the top of the page, and get signed up. All right, let's get to it. Here's today's Orange or Brown Talk podcast from Browns Training Camp. All right, here we go, our daily Orange and Brown Talk podcast. On a Saturday, we're going to take you through uh, to Monday on this one. No podcast coming on Monday until later in the day after we watch practice. So like I said, we have a little bit of a different schedule. It kind of starts here with a Saturday pod, and then we'll be back Monday afternoon. But let's get right to it. The Browns day four of training camp here in Berea. What is it, cross-country mortgage campus or something like that? I think that's what we're supposed to call it. I'm just trying to get, like, a lower interest rate or something. Always be Berea. (laughs) Okay. Ellis, what stood out to you at practice? Honestly, it felt like a very balanced day. I I feel like the, the offense had its moments. The defense definitely had a few that popped. Um, but comparing it to just really the week that was, I feel like the offense started strong. The defense had a couple nice days there, especially when the, the fans were here on that first day. And then it felt like a little bit of the offense finding itself, trying to still hit that intermediate stuff, still a lot of short game. I thought the running game looked good today, even though it's hard to tell with where the pads are and stuff, but you like how the tight ends were moving. They got some sweeps on the outside. Kareem Hunt looked fast. I know we've, we've been talking about him a lot. Uh, he looks great. I, I thought, uh, Austin Hooper, Harrison Bryant blocked well today. Uh, just a kind of a gritty practice, even though it felt like a lower tempo. I, I thought it was a, a good way to end the week, if you will, seeing both uh, good things from both sides of the ball. Yeah, I don't want to admit how many times I forgot it was Saturday today. It's like <laughs> th- this point in camp, I've already lost, you know, all concept of time and yep. everything. I just don't know what day it is. But uh, yeah, I think what else said, I, I kind of agree there. I, uh, today was the one, I guess the first day where I think the defense really stood out a little more to me. Uh, there were maybe a couple plays here and there through the first couple of days where, you know, the defense kind of chanced to cheer a little bit, but it was, you know, Baker looked really good uh, that first day and they just kind of, those seven on seven drills seemed to lean more towards the offense. Today though, it was just really active from the defense and you had blitzing, you had pressure, you had quarterbacks kind of trying to buy time and, and, and trying to escape pressure and, you know, seeing Troy Hill come off the edge on a blitz and seeing the linebackers, you know, multiple linebackers uh, blitzing. I just, it just makes me wonder, like, is that going to be something we see a little more of? Cause they were, the Browns were near the bottom of the league in blitz percentage last mm-hmm. year. It was barely 20%. And uh, that's something I know a lot of fans really wondered about last season. Like, why don't they blitz more? Well, the, the idea is to cover and not have to blitz. But, you know, you've improved your coverage. Maybe they like the guys they got who are able to blitz a little better this year. 
uh, but we definitely saw it today. And yeah, I think, I don't, I don't know if it was a great end for like going into the first break for the offense today, but I definitely think the defense feels good about where they are. I'm going to start with John Johnson, the third. I mean, you know, each day in camp, there's always somebody who's sort of all Berea and, and he was kind of the all Berea guy today, uh, especially on, on the defense. He was very active. Uh, he was, he was all over the place. Uh, he, he had that one contested ball that it looked like he came up with for the pick uh, against David Njoku. Uh, he had another one where I think he dropped the pick and dropped down and, uh, and, and did some push ups. Uh, the other thing that I saw from him that I was very impressed about, we've heard about his leadership qualities, uh, and he those were on display today. I saw after drills he would he would be talking a lot to he was talking a lot to Troy Hill, but he was also talking a lot to Greedy Williams, and and they were sort of figuring out you know how they were supposed to be lined up or where they were supposed to be on a certain particular play. So I think he's going to be a very vocal leader back there. I think he's going to knit the whole secondary together back there and I for that reason I think it will come together so much faster than people think it might. Yeah, I agree Mary Kay. John Johnson deserves a, a training camp moment right here and we'll, you know we'll give it to him. I I completely agree with his ability to be a leader, be vocal. You hear him out there. But then on the field, our film study of him completely checks out everything you see on tape of what he was doing with the Rams. That stick route where he battled David Njoku for the ball, that's a, you know, that's a five-yard play, right? He's right near the line of scrimmage. He looked good in run fits. The very next play after that Njoku ball, he covered Kaderil Hodge deep uh, on a vertical. Hodge was the outside receiver. The Browns must have been playing some cover three. You're probably not going to throw that football. And Johnson covers his side of the field, and, it, it, you know, Baker has to overthrow Hodge or it's probably interception intercepted. He's all over the place and it, it, it checks out this, like Mary Kay said, this might happen faster than people are realizing just because that safety position seems so sound right now. Yeah. I just I, want to add real ahead, quick about, about that is the fact that Grant Delpit did not practice today yeah. because it was his day of rest and Ronnie Harrison was still out today with his tweaked hamstring. Uh, so it gives an opportunity for a guy like a John Johnson to really sort of shine at his position when you, you know, you get a bunch of reps and you have, have that kind of a chance. Yeah. I thought it was fun to see John just flying around and that like that near interception he had was, I mean, that's kind of what Joe Woods wants, right? He wants those safeties being disruptive coming up with the football and it just changes so much of what you can do defensively. If that back end is strong, you know, for the coverage aspect, like you said, Scott, and then also just that ability to, to get your hands on the football. I, I do think there is such a thing as kind of a nose for the ball. And maybe that's just, you're really good at preparing. You, you can kind of see what's developing in front of you, but I do think certain guys just have a knack for getting the football. Yeah. And he talked the other day about the need to kind of be that guy because when he was with the Rams, yeah, he was kind of a leader, but he was also, he considered himself one of the young guys. He was always just younger. And here there, there's a few guys who are, are kind of the same age, but he's one of the, he's in that group of older guys on this defense, definitely in that group of more experienced mm -hmm. and more success. You know, that he mentioned Troy Hill is the old guy, but uh, he, he's kind of like right there. So he knows that he has to kind of embrace that role and, you know, showing in practice is a great way to do that. Elsewhere, you know, let's talk about the tight ends, Ellis. You brought them up and we got to hear from Austin Hooper today. Uh, you know, he, he pretty much said that he wasn't happy necessarily with how last season when he wants to be better this year. Uh, but the tight ends, we've talked so much about how different this offense could look. 
But at the same time, they've got four pretty good tight ends. And, you know, especially at that top with, you know, Hooper, Njoku, you know, Harrison Bryant, I kind of feel like the jury's still out on him a little bit, but there is something there. So, you know, and then Steven Carlson as well should probably get some playing time. So some other guys competing, but it still seems like this is going to be, if not a tight end reliant offense, the tight ends are going to be a big piece of what they're doing. Exactly. The, the tight ends continue to provide Kevin Stefanski the window dressing necessary to do what he wants. So defensive corners have to respect and it happened today a bunch. Austin Hooper split out wide and you got to put a corner on him. It, you bring him inside. It's a safety. You have to respect the run game or a seam or a, a quick stick route. It allows Kevin to just be completely unpredictable. And when you have three tight ends that are that versatile and look, you can say they all do something different. Well, I think they, all have a different best trait, but they all can do the same stuff. I think the Browns are looking at two 1A style tight ends with Hooper and Njoku, and it's not going to matter for anything but fantasy, but like who is the number one tight end on this team? I'm not really sure. That's what I was trying to track today. Not like you're going to figure out in one day, but Njoku doing a lot of the 11 work, Hooper more of a blocker today, and he probably is the more explosive player. And then you got Harrison Bryant, who continues to develop. He looks a little thicker, you know, filling out a little more. You'd expect that in year two. I don't know if it will be a year where you see a lot of big production out of this tight end room. Again, Kevin wasn't doing that in Minnesota, but he has guys that can do anything he asks. I don't know if that means Hooper is going to ever get the numbers he wants or David for that instance. And like Mary Kay's been saying, this team might run more 11. They're stacked at receiver too. So again, great problems to have if you're the head coach, the quarterback and overall success of the team. As for individual numbers, I, I'm not sure who's going to get them yet. Yeah, Harrison Bryant might have filled out, but his face still looks like he's a high school junior. <laughs> he, he still he just you know does not look like he, he should out there. Uh, right. But we also heard from uh, tight ends coach uh, Drew Petzing, and he he also talked about blocking and how you know they really weren't sure what they were going to get with Austin Hooper yeah. based on what he'd done in Atlanta, but he was pleasantly surprised with how physical he was as a blocker. And uh, you know, I think if you want to go by PFF grading, I think. David Njoku ended up as the highest graded blocker, uh, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a runaway thing. They were all kind of grouped together a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's, we talk a lot about the running backs and how they have this luxury of, of having two guys who could start for most teams. And then the tight end, you know, is, is right there with that. It's, it's not the kind of group that, that you see in all these teams. And Drew Petzing even said that, you know, without going through every team, he, yeah, it's pretty easy to, to think that that's, that's really a luxury to have. And, you're right. There are, they all have their strengths and weaknesses, but you, they're basically playing very similar roles. There isn't a guy like Farrell Brown was here where he was the blocking tight end, you know, um, not really noted as a pass catcher. So that's it's year two with this group. And I think uh, we should probably expect more because I think we even mentioned earlier in the off season that maybe, I guess we talked a little about a contract with this as well, but Austin Hooper might not have had the kind of season we were all expecting. Um, but it's definitely a group that they can grow with. So when, when you look at the, the Austin Hooper, Baker Mayfield situation, uh, one important thing to note, they are friends. Okay. They are really, really good friends. Uh, I would have to say that maybe Austin Hooper has become Baker's best friend on the team, perhaps. And, and when I, when we talked to Baker at his youth camp the other day, he was talking about, and I wrote a column about how 
Baker and Odell Beckham Jr. are working on their relationship on and off the field. And that's important because when you're together and you're hanging out at a cookout or you're hanging out, you know, with your, you know, your wives or your girlfriends or whatever the case may be, you know, you're going to start, you're going to talk ball. I mean, you're going to say what you should have done on a certain route. So it's not just here between the lines that you start talking about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. You do that when you're on the golf course and they golf together. Uh, I believe they belong to the same club um, and they, they're spending a lot of time together. And that starts to translate onto the field. And that's what Baker's trying to develop some of that with Odell. And they traditionally haven't been, you know, hanging out buds. It's hard to hang out last year because of the pandemic anyways. But, you know, they, they haven't, you know, really kind of been like that to this point. They're working on that. Austin and Baker already have that. And I think it will translate over onto the field this year. And I saw them working one-on-one take just extra. They were just over on a different field. Uh, just working on their timing together and just getting it down. And he knows it's important. Baker's got to get that with Austin Hooper. He's got to get it with, with Odell. He didn't have it enough with either of those guys last year. And, uh, you know, this offense needs those two guys to, to be productive in a huge way. And then um, real quick, Kevin Stefanski did say, we're going to have a larger role for Austin Hooper this year. So I'm, I'm guessing that would be in the passing game uh, because he did talk about how he came up big blocking in big moments, including on that, uh, Baker game saving run against Pittsburgh, but, um, you know, he's slated for a large role. So we'll see how that goes. And it looks like they're trying to make it happen. So lots of good stuff going on there. Okay. I'm going to put you guys on the spot here. Uh, as, as we head into an off day, I'm going to put you on the spot if we're talking tight ends, because LSU said, uh, you know, we may not know who the number one tight end is, but let's just say all of us have an assignment. We've got to write a, a depth chart. Who are you putting number one at tight end? Is it, I, I think for me, I would still say Hooper is number one on the depth chart. Is that the direction you guys would go? Or Scott, is there a case That's for him to question joke? Because they play a lot of yeah. 12 personnel and they usually have two tight ends on the field. But I think, man, I, I think Austin Hooper is the guy. I think he's number one. I think if you're just going to go with one tight end, I think he's going to get that shot first for yeah. multiple reasons. Right. And it's, you think you put me on the spot, Dan. I actually, for some reason, was thinking about this on the ride over here today. Like, who is the number one today? You can see that that's been on my mind today. And for everything Mary Kay laid out, which I think is brilliant, because we don't talk enough about what goes on off the field, just in pro sports in general. And that's a huge deal. I mean, I remember playing your guy look for you because that was your guy. And you can find any retired NFL quarterback who agree with that for the most part. And for everything Scott just laid out, and Dan, I agree. It's Hooper, except I think the better tight end is David Njoku. I decided that on my on my drive over. See, Scott's not as uh, – that's when I know I, I got the right answer. I, I just think David's the better tight end, more explosive, better blocker. If he finds that – I don't want to even call it commitment because that's, that's a cheap shot. If it comes together for him, you know, no injuries, like you think of the Freddie Kitchens here, just uh, more opportunities – Unlike last year, I think you see David Njoku put together his, his best year yet. I think he's I think he's a better tight end. But it's about opportunity, and Austin Cooper, when given those opportunities, is as fine tuned and uh, up echelon tight end in this league as well. You know, I'm I'm going to say Austin Hooper because when you pay a guy that kind of money, where he's making ten and a half million dollars a year, and he's one of your biggest targets in free agency last year, you expect that out of him. You expect that he's going to be your number one guy, David Njoku heading into the final year of his contract, playing on his option year this year at $6 million. Uh, and it's not that you're going to 
play a guy more because he makes more money, but it just shows you that's the commitment that you made to Austin Hooper as your guy. Uh, but the thing about David Njoku, and I don't think it's a, it's a, a shot or anything that uh, like that to talk about uh, him being all in this year because he wasn't all in at this time last year. He had one foot out the door at this time last year. I mean, there were, there was a time where, I mean, some weird stuff was happening during training camp with him last year. He didn't seem, uh, we know, we know that he wasn't 100% wanting to be here. That lasted all the way through the trade deadline. Up until that point, he still wasn't all in, but now he is part of that is because, I mean, he, you know, he knows he doesn't have any choice. He's here to stay. And, but I think he, I think he's got his head in the game now. And he, most of that, now I thought he came up really big in that Kansas city game. He was one of the yep. best players in the divisional playoff game last year. Uh, and, and he left it all out on the field. I think he thought that was going to be his last game potentially in, in a Cleveland Browns uniform. And it was kind of emotional for him, but he's back. And I, and I do think that he's committed to being here. And he's going to give it his all. I still think Austin Hooper is going to be the number one tight end. But David now has a chance for the first time to live up to that first round talent because he'll be healthy, presumably. And also not with Freddie Kitchens because Freddie couldn't stand him. And, um, and he wants to be here. So when you put all those things together, it could be pretty cool. Yeah, I know we don't talk fantasy football much on this pod, but I just have a feeling this David Njoku or Hooper question is going to mess with Browns fans who play fantasy all year. So just some advice, maybe stay away from it, but I could be wrong. It's, it's going to be our new – we're going to have – so we got got to watch the tape. This is yeah. We got the emotional podcast. Uh, yes. We're working on that. We're working on that. Now we're going to have our fantasy football spinoff, and we got to do a gambling spinoff. We're going to be up to like nine or ten podcasts a week yeah. coming on, up in On the that season. fantasy pod, all we're going to talk about is – Who's the number three wide receiver and which tight end should start? We got the answers. I, I do want to say, I think, I think Najoku is off to a really nice start in camp. I think, uh, you know, we've seen him make some catches. His hands look good. Everything looks good so far in camp with, with Najoku. So I think that's good. And I do think the athletic upside is, is higher with him than it is with, with Austin Hooper. All right, let's, uh, let's wrap up on this. We heard from the Haslam's today. And look, anytime the owners talk, we got to talk about it, even if they didn't say much of anything, but I'm curious from each of you, what stood out when you, you kind of stood there and listened to what the Haslam's had to say. So Scott, what, what stood out to you from them? Uh, how they, they kind of learned just to not talk about expectations or even map out where they should be at what time. Uh, you know, they said multiple times that everything looks good right now, but you have to kind of turn that into wins. Um, you know, how they do that is obviously not their job. It's everybody that they hired to do that job. Uh, so that really stood out. The other thing I thought was kind of, Interesting was uh, Dee Haslam mentioning how stressful it was to <laughs> be an owner of a winning team last season. <laughs> right. it, was, it was a big change, and she talked about you know pacing in the hallways during during games and, and what that was like. So that was interesting to hear. But but, but the big part is just they seem to kind of understand what they're supposed to say, and just you know we're not talking about expectations. We just, we just need to win. That's what they basically. That was the message. Yeah, Scott, I'll piggyback off that with these stress levels over, you know, wins and losses in important games. I mean, I, I can't imagine you can only, like now I'm trying to envision it, right? Baltimore probably like is Lamar coming back. Yeah. Of course the two Pittsburgh games, I, I can't imagine Kansas city, but I think Browns fans should feel a complete tide change. Like that has to be symbolic of the transformation this organization has gone through. 
in just, you know, a year, 18 months, whatever. And Mary Kay, of course, can, can speak the best to that. But I, I think, and I hope Browns fans can just take some pride in knowing that, like, now your owners feel like owners of a winning team. And that's, for what it's worth, I, I think it's a, a sign that it's, it's top down now. And that's what happens when you bring in a guy like Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry. You know, I, I, the thing that kind of stands out to me about them right now, and I'm actually going to be writing a column or a take on this um, today, hopefully, um, and that is that uh, finally, after so many false starts, they, they really have gotten it right in, in every aspect of the organization. Now, they're letting Paul do his thing. They bring it, when you call somebody the chief strategy officer, like, you have to let him strategize right like you have to let him do his thing and they're doing that now they gave him a five-year contract last year so it extends out and he matches up and aligns that's alignment that's how we do alignment matching up with Andrew Barry Kevin Stefanski they're here for the long haul but they're letting you know they're letting Paul and Andrew do their thing they're not getting involved in extension talk they're not like you know they're not panicking you know some people are are wondering and we're seeing headlines like why aren't they extending Baker Mayfield yet they're, they're letting Andrew take care of that. They're, they're not trying to jump the gun. So I'm trying to make the point that they are, you know, they've, they've got, the, they, for the first time, they really do have the right people in place and they're letting them do their thing. Yeah, Ellis, I'm, I'm going to tell you a Brown's history story. I, I need this is not a This is not going way back. All right. It's 2015, I believe. The Haslam's do their, their Saturday weekend press conference with us or Sunday, whatever day it was. And Ray Farmer was the GM, mm-hmm. Mike Pettin was the head coach, and we had been hearing that they were singing from the same hymnal, even though it was clear that they were not singing from the same hymnal. And Jimmy Haslam stood in front of us and said, I'm not going to blow it up again. And at the end of January, actually at the beginning of January, after the Browns lost their final game to the Pittsburgh Steelers, he blew it all up. Is that yeah. tape, <laughs> is that tape uh, deleted, archived, or where, where's that? <laughs> Run it back. It's, it is just it's a symbol of how far they've come, I think, as right. owners. And they've had to learn so publicly and learn so much on the job. And, you know, Mary Kay, you and I were talking, you know, you, you told me you were going to write that column. And I said, the thing that stood out to me was there were probably four things that they talked about where they were really talking long-term, whether it was the facility here, whether it was the lakefront development, the coaching staff, whatever it was, everything felt big picture and long-term finally. It feels like they're finally comfortable um, with, with everything they have in place here. And, and they're kind of taking, like, like you've been saying, they're, they're taking ownership of a lot of things. Yeah, it, it's, it's good to see that they both ran companies before they owned the Browns. And so I think it was hard for them to step back and really let other people do the football job. I think they thought they had to be like, really hands and involved in decisions. So therefore, when Sashi Brown took over and wanted to hire Sean McDermott, Jimmy and Dee stepped in and hired Hugh Jackson instead. And that's where you kind of have to like back off and say, we're going to let our football guy do the football job that we hired him to do. And that everything flows from there. So then, Dan, like you said, then you can start talking about stability and continuity and long-term because it's working and you don't have to blow it up. And I think I elicited that blow up quote from Jimmy. So if you can run it back and find it, <laughs> you might have. <laughs> I think I did. But um, but yeah, so it, it's really nice to know that that they figured it out because uh, each time they didn't get it right in the past, I would always tell somebody in the organization, "This isn't it. 
right before, right at the start of it, I'd say, this isn't it. This is not it. This is not it. This time I said, this is it. So let's hope for Browns fans and for the Browns that it is. Yeah, I'm going to speak to something I, I have zero expertise in. It sounds like a parent watching their child mature and they grow into something quite well and you learn to let go and you and you let you let them live right is that am i am i is that a decent analogy or i don't want to speak for the other two parents here yeah i don't want to speak for the other two parents here but the jury's still out on that one i have no children over here so i don't know what the parenting analogies would have been like in the last few years before they got to this point they probably wouldn't have been bad bad grandpa all right we're done yeah we're still we're still mid-launched over here too. I mean, you know, even though, you know, we got a 24, a 22 and a 20, we're, we're still launching, but I mean, it's going okay, but we're still in the process. <laughs> the other thing that stood out to me is uh, they clearly all went through the Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski, Paul DePodesta press conference school right. before they, they came out because they really did kind of strike the same tone as those guys. So I don't know if, you know, Paul DePodesta sat down with them and said, look, just, just follow our lead. Or if I, I don't know what happened there, but that sounded very much like a uh, Barry Stefanski or DePodesta press conference from the two of them today. Okay. I think we covered everything. We are barreling into an off day and we need it. Scott, like you said, uh, we've been right in the wrong day. I almost tweeted out that the Haslam spoke on Thursday today. And I honestly can't make sense of why I thought it was Thursday in that, in that small moment. So uh, we, we need this. We'll be back, like I said, Monday, sometime after practice, when Brown practice in the afternoon. The pads are going on on Tuesday, so it should be fun. So, for Mary Kay, Scott, and Ellis, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.